This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, we're all back together. It's been kind of a crazy month of June with camps and traveling and whatnot as we now approach the 4th of July. And guys, Bill Moose is still he's still hiring coaches all the way into late June. And, you know, as we start this show off, I wanted to just throw this out at you. I, I wrote this this week in my 3-2-1 column. You look at what Bill Moose has done. He's made eight coaching hires at Nebraska over an 18-month period. That's a new coach hire about every 70 days. To kind of put that in perspective, the previous three ADs before uh, before Moose, Sean Eichhorst, Tom Osborne, and Steve Peterson were here for 14 years. They made a combined seven hires over 14 years. Bill Moose has made eight, eight crazy. over 18 months. I mean, it's it's an incredible run. And, you know, there's still a couple other sports where, you know, you could see a retirement from a coach or, you know, maybe a coaching move made here and there. And so, you know, that number could be 10 or 11 here within a year from now. It's hard to say. Yeah, it didn't take long for Bill Moose to make this his athletic department. And it's pretty uh, unprecedented, like you said. Uh, I mean, you might know better than I do, Sean, since you're the Husker historian, but has an athletic director ever made this significant of an impact on an, on the Nebraska athletic department in such a short amount of time? No, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, there just hasn't been. Bill, Bill Byrne made a lot of moves when mm-hmm. he was here. I mean, he did because he was very interested in winning the Sears Cup. And, um, you know, you, you saw a, a number of things happen under his watch. Um, but I just, I mean, I don't know if it was to the extent of that. But, you know, Bill Byrne did hire Dave Van Horn. Mm-hmm. He did hire Frank Solager, was involved in that transition. He hired Barry Collier. Um, so, I mean, he made the, the trifecta right there. He brought in John Cook. Um, but really, Terry Pettit brought in John Cook. Then he replaced him um, at that time. So Bill Byrne was involved with some pretty significant hiring things that happened. But a lot of these other sports, you know, like tennis and golf and whatnot, uh, Bill Byrne did hire Bill Spangler, by the way, who ended up being the guy that Bill, Bill Moose relieved as the men's golf coach um, before the season. So, you know, Byrne did a lot. I'd have to really sit down because he got rid of men's. He did get rid of men's swimming at Nebraska. You think about that. Yeah. Uh, in 2000, they cut the program after violations, um, and he hired Pablo Morales to be the women's swimming coach. So he was involved with that. He fired Tim Newman as the wrestling coach because they were cheating, and he brought in um, Mark, Manning. Mark Manning right now. So Byrne's pretty close. Uh, I, I'd have to really sit down. Paul Sanderford, I think, was a Bill Byrne hire. Um, Nate, am I missing anybody? Uh, not that I can recall. I think that's – I mean, it, I mean the Solich and John Cook deals are pretty similar in terms of them being more of, you know, the the coach the, – the leaving coach, you know, passing the torch mm-hmm. on to those guys. But Did Bill Byrne add soccer? I, I mean, I think he might have added the women's soccer program when he was the AD. And yeah, I don't remember. I know he added Rifle. Um, because they had to get more yeah. Title IX numbers. Yeah, because he was right in kind of the introduction of the Title IX thing. So there was a lot of moving and shaking during those early 2000s, late 90s. I think women's soccer and rifle were the two that they, they chose to go with at that time. I mean, you see, that's why rowing is a big sport in a lot of places because that actually is a 22 scholarship women's mm-hmm. sport. Yeah, that's big. That's um, cheap. Which is the most scholarships of any women's sport um, is rowing. and it's, it's a Title IX eater at that point. But... Didn't did uh, Byrne hire Straub, women's bowling? <sighs> that or I don't how, know. How long's b- the bowling program been around? Don't know. But anyway, full circle back. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're basically <laughs> Going saying down the that it's hole. been a long time since you know Nebraska. Nebraska athletic director has had this level of impact. You know, we're talking about what Bill Byrne did over the course of a career, whereas Bill Moose has been here for less than two years. <laughs> so I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, just the level of turnover and presumed upgrades that he's made across the board. I mean, um, the football program, the basketball program, now the baseball program, and just go across the board where everything, every sport seems to be in a better position than it was even 18 months ago. Uh, and, I mean, you really got to credit Bill Moose. Now, some of those hires were kind of foregone conclusions. Like, yes, Scott Frost was the obvious choice. Sure, if Fred Hoiberg had any interest, you hire him. 
but he got it done. He sealed the deal on those guys where not a lot of people could potentially do that. There'd be hurdles that may get involved or personality quirks that uh, might throw off the deal. And Bill Moose landed it. He's he's going to get a whole pot of coffee because coffee's for closers, and Bill Moose is a closer. Yeah. Well, and he's got you know he's got a vision for what he wants too. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think all the ads to a certain degree have a vision for what they want, but. Um, You know, Peterson's vision was definitely different than what, you know, Bill Moose's vision is. I think Moose's vision kind of lines up more along the lines with uh, Burns' vision in terms of just having solid, you know, solid sports across the board. And obviously you want to have the very best in your your revenue sports. And and he's been able to, to make that happen. And so... Um, you know, and I think now, now that you've got maybe some changes across the board and, and you've got all the sports kind of sitting in a much better place, then you, you kind of change focus maybe to the facilities or, you know, the, the different, the different part of your, your overall vision of, of, you know, where things need to need to be or, or where you want them to go. Do you think we could still see this football facility announcement that's been under the radar, but we all know it's in the in the works. Do you think we could still see it this summer, maybe before the start of the season? I, I mean, the the window of momentum you got to capture. Yeah, you got you. They'd be smart if they did. I mean, we all know it's it's happening. It's just a question of when or um, you know when it's going to be announced or or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. You would think that if they wanted to to really capture the momentum and and kind of. Uh, make it a big deal that you would you would announce it, but right before the season or now that you know now that uh, you know the school year is over or whatever. You know, I, I, looking back, I think that if you had na- announced it around the spring game or something like that, there would be some buzz and some momentum, some momentum around it. Now I think you you probably you know if you want to capture some of that momentum, you you release it you know weeks before a week before weeks, the yeah, start before the or, season or during fall camp at some point in time as that buzz leading up to the season you know starts to get out of fever pitch. well back in 2004 um before callahan's first year i still remember it was brandon teamer and danny mancuso they were the athletes that went up front at the press conference when they announced it and it was in august they announced that in august and then it took until the 2006 season when that became open yep. so you know yeah there i don't know what the timing i do know the june regents meeting had nothing about new facilities on the on the agenda Hmm. um and i'm not sure if they meet in july or what their next meeting schedule is for the regents but nonetheless let's move on guys here uh, to fan day um they put this out this week um nebraska to get scott frost's autograph now at fan day um, you must be eighth grade or younger and you must be a member of the nebraska jv club um, which is $35 a year, but it gets you into everything for free. You can go to any sporting event other than football and men's basketball and, and, volley- yeah. and volleyball for free. Um, and you, you get it. My daughter's actually been in it for a few years. You get it. They send you a ton of stuff in the mail, like prizes and games and cool things. Um, but you've got to join this club and be in the age bracket to get Scott Frost's autograph, which I think caught a few people by surprise because it, it is a pretty drastic change for fan day at Nebraska. This has frost fingerprints all over it for me just knowing his personality um i mean he's a guy that doesn't really enjoy being in the limelight let alone signing ten thousand plus autographs in the one afternoon so i think that this was partly uh, a deal where they want to just limit the numbers the sheer volume of autographs that he had to sign to where i mean the line grown men frost. sprinting exactly that like it's, it's not black. even it's not even about like signing autographs but it's signing autographs for like Fifty-five year old dude. He's gonna injure his hand. Yeah, <laughs> with cut with cutoffs on. Yeah, it's like okay, holding like six pieces of memorabilia <laughs> yeah. that they're gonna go sell immediately after they get. But anyway, I know that ruffled some feathers uh, among some people, saying that you know you're really um, isolating a lot of people, or um, you know, kind of it's it's a cheap money grab. But um, really, with that thirty-five bucks, like you said, it's over a year. So thirty-five dollars over a year, and you get access to all those they games. give you more than 35 dollars yeah back i mean you get to go to the volleyball red white scrimmage you get to go to a free ticket to any men's basketball game and get to go to an on-court shoot around you get to go to the spring game for free you get all this other stuff in the mail with soccer birthday games cards, track meets wrestling yeah, gift all cards all that stuff so i mean like you can easily make up that 35 bucks and then some if you know you really use it right and so i know some people are kind of thrown off by this but i think part of this is just to kind of control that whole fan day situation because last year it was wild crazy i mean people didn't get in right i mean it was a zoo 
And so this is like one way that they can, for one, make it about the kids, two, uh, limit the amount of autographs Scott Frost has to sign, and three, uh, just kind of you know make it make it more of a, an all-inclusive deal for kids to it, where it's it's not just about getting an autograph; it's about having a whole Husker athletic experience. It shouldn't be Walmart on Black Friday. I mean, exactly. that, that's yeah. that's what Fan Day almost had become, in my opinion, is a lot of just overly aggressive people were getting there like at six in the morning mm-hmm. to like get in line for an event that started at six at night well, i know alabama they had to change their process <laughs> they, the running of the gumps running of the gumps where it was a bunch of like billy bobs running down the field trying to get to <laughs> nick saban's table first and they had to change a thing where you you go to the stadium and you get a ticket and when where that number on your ticket is that's where you are in line so no matter when you get there or how fast you run uh, you're in line. And so if you're ticket number one, you are first in line. So, I mean, that was a way to kind of just control the chaos. And I think this is Nebraska's attempt of trying to control no, the chaos. Oklahoma doesn't allow um, any adults to get autographs. It has to be a kid. So, um, and they, they say one item, but, you know, we live in this world of Facebook, social media, where I, I think so many people want to have that picture of mm-hmm. Coach Frost in them mm-hmm. or Adrian Martinez in them that they can post to get the likes. And I mean, that to, that, mm-hmm. that to me is what's ramped Fan Dave up even more because people want an autograph, then they want a picture, yep. and that really slows down the process. Yes, yeah, it does. It, may, yeah, it slows it down to a crawl. I mean, you mentioned that, that line for Frost last year. There, were, First of all, it was – completely out of the stadium. Yeah, they had to hold it in the weight room, right? Yeah, so he was in the weight room. (laughs) They had a separate line that basically went all from the weight room out of of the the, uh, North Stadium all the way down East Stadium and out of of Memorial Stadium, and it wrapped around like... Anderson Hall, right? uh, Yeah, it wrapped around Anderson Hall. Like, it, it was unbelievable, and it was hot. So I'm. I mean, we always cover Fan Day. We're taking pictures and everything. And when I was like going down that line, like people were complaining. They were hot. They were like they were tired, and they'd been standing in line for hours upon hours upon hours. And some, you know, some adults had their little kids with them, and they were. You could tell they were done. Like it was just. It was completely out of hand. And and. I mean, that's just, I don't know. They had to do something because that is just ridiculous. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. Uh, We're going to get some thoughts from Robin Washington and Isaiah Roby being the first Husker drafted in a long time. And they released the schedule for Nebraska's games that will take place in Italy. Robin will make his pitch on why he should get a go to Italy next. (laughs) You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wash. I want to talk some Nebraska basketball, Robin, as the Huskers, a lot going on. Isaiah Roby was drafted last week. First Husker drafted since 1998. 99. 99. That was Tyron. Vincent Hamilton? Vincent Hamilton. The 50th overall pick. You had Lou and Hamilton. Were they back-to-back Big yes. 12 Players of the Year oh, as well? Yeah. Well, Hamilton was, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Lou might have been that year before. I don't before. know if it was back-to-back. Anyway, but yeah, he was a first-rounder. He was 23rd overall. Vincent? Uh, Tyron Lou. Tyron Lou. So it really puts in perspective somewhat the demise of Nebraska basketball the last 20 years. I, I mean, mean we, that's unbelievable drought. I mean, <laughs> the NCAA tournament streak is obviously the most glaring black eye on the program, but then you take into account, I remember when I tweeted that, that Isaiah Roby snaps a, a two-decade uh, streak or drought of drafted Nebraska players, and people were like, are you serious? It's been 20 years? I'm like, yes. Yes, it's been 20 years since they've had a drafted player. And they had a pretty good run. And really, I think it's he's only like the fourth or fifth since like the late 80s. And so, I mean, it has been uh, sparse, to and say the Hoiberg least. And Hoiberg had like, what, seven at Iowa State mm-hmm. alone? I mean, it was like some crazy number of guys that he put in the pros at Iowa State in yep. his time there. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is kind of par for the course for him. And you know, he really didn't have anything to do with Isaiah's uh, development or making uh, the NBA, but he's going to be able to benefit it. So this is a luxury that no coach since Danny Nee has been able to claim on the recruiting front of having a player that kids that they're recruiting actually know who the, who the guy is, that they played while they were still alive in college. And, uh, it, I mean, that's going to be invaluable because obviously you have Fred's uh, NBA connections, you know, as a 
player, coach, GM, and whatnot, uh, and his ability to produce or his history of producing players at Iowa State. But now you have Nebraska. You have a Nebraska player in the NBA. And um, assuming Isaiah can eventually catch on um, to the actual Mavericks roster, uh, I mean, that's going to be a a resource that uh, is going to be so critical to Nebraska continuing to build uh, that kind of that building block of talent that they've been um, already trying to do over the last two months. Did he go about where you thought or was he a little bit later than you thought a little bit later but not by not too much i think most people assumed it was going to be the 35 45 range and so it was on the very back end of, of the that. projection but what's interesting is uh, after they picked him or traded for him i should say uh the mavericks said that they graded isaiah as a high second round pick and seriously thought about taking him at 37th overall well they ended up drafting this european player who they eventually traded to the detroit pistons for the rights to get isaiah roby so um you know clearly the mavericks think very highly of him and think that he should have gone much earlier than when they got him and the fact that they were able to trade for him and get the player that they wanted originally and two future second round draft picks you know they're they're feeling you know very very good about their situation and what what they were able to accomplish and now isaiah uh, the real question now is how quickly can he acclimate himself to the professional ranks and um you know i mean the nba jump is as big as he's ever going to see in his life uh and the g league is a grind mentally and physically you're ba- it's essentially minor league baseball where you know, you're busting the games playing and or staying in lower end hotels uh and playing in front of you know a handful of thousand people uh so it's going to be a big shift on and off the court from what he was used to at nebraska and how well he's able to handle that i think will ultimately dictate how quickly he has a chance to make that jump to the mavericks roster than anything else you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett as we talk some nebraska basketball now let's talk about the italy trip i mean this is coming up here in about a month um and it's becoming more real by the day that they're going to have to put a team together of guys and play some games in Italy. And, you know, this is going to be huge, Robin, for the program. And, and they put out the early schedule. They're going to play four games in Italy? Yeah, four games. Uh, four games over the span of four cities. And so uh, they are going to leave Lincoln on August 3rd. Uh, and then get to Italy and then have a day just to kind of get the jet lag out from under them, do some sightseeing, uh, maybe do a little bit of a workout. And then Monday, August 5th, they're going to play their first game against, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to pronounce these, these schools' names because Stella Azura Academy <laughs> in Rome. Uh, and that game will be... Uh, I bet your dad's been to Italy. We could have him pronounce these words. I've been to Italy twice, and I still can't pronounce <laughs> it. Uh, anyway, that game is going to be at 11.30 a.m. local time. And then they play again on Wednesday, August 7th. Thursday, August 8th, and Monday, August 12th. And they're going to go from Rome to Florence and then to uh, Como. Uh, and so, I mean, they're going to see basically uh, some of the best sites in the country while also getting some some actual competition that is going to be so valuable for this team. Not only just playing games, but being in a different country with a group of guys that don't know each other. Uh, I mean, talk about really expediting that whole um, gelling, meshing process of the locker room. Uh, this is about as good of an opportunity as you could possibly ask for. And a lot of the games are going to be around the lunch hour, right? Local, yeah, local, 11, 11.30 a.m., 1 p.m., 11 a.m. and noon are the, are the four games. And right now, I checked in yes, um, on Monday when the schedule was announced, and they don't know if they're going to be able to stream, stream. those games at all. I know last, or last time they went into Spain in 2015, they did it over Periscope, and it was a really... <laughs> <laughs> questionable people don't even feed. really use do people use periscope I think, anymore i think it was bought out and i don't well twitter twitter live yeah. was but like so, you don't even see twitter live use like it used to I be i think it's just going to come down to are they going to have a wi-fi connection strong capable enough to stream and they may get a good enough stream to where it actually works and so i think that that's they're going to try it but i don't know how well it's going to work so uh, the good news is this the husker sports network uh the obviously the Nebraska radio affiliate is going to travel with them. And so they're going to broadcast games, I think, and they're going to do like in- interviews along the way. So uh, they're going to have great coverage there. So ben McLaughlin's going, right? Yeah, do we yeah. know if Jake gets to go, Jake Mielweisen? I don't know. He was trying, he was pushing for himself to tag along. On, Cause he on was going to go when miles was the coach. Jake told me he was in and he didn't know the situation. Yeah. And Kent right now is not going, is he? Yeah, I don't think so. So 
kind of an interesting choice there. But uh, nonetheless, there will be at least, at the bare minimum, radio coverage of their trips there. So, and I'm sure probably sports nightly. They'll send out recaps. You know, Seamus McKnight, uh, the sports information director for the basketball team, he'll write up little recaps and put stats in there. So, um, you'll get a sense of what the team did and how they played, uh, even if you aren't able to watch it live. Yeah, I'll be more interested, Robin. I mean, I would imagine they're going to experiment with tons of different starting yes, lineups. That is the whole goal. Of this like, thing. they're not going to have, like, this is our starting five they, all four games. They will have a different starting five for all four games. I guarantee it. And they're going to have guys play different positions. So, um, you know, they're going to have Cam Mack play point guard. Then they might try him out of some two guard. Gervais Green playing some point. Uh, you know, Shamil Stevenson is going to play forward or small forward or even center. They're going to do all sorts of different things just to see how guys look together. I mean, because that's the one thing about this roster. I mean, they've never been on the court together at the same time. So you have no idea how they're going to play off one another, uh, what lineups work the best, and you know who kind of feeds off the other player. And that is where the real value, as far as the on-the-court stuff, comes from actually playing live competition in these games. And then one other side note to this, uh, the sit-out transfers, guys like Delano Banson, uh, Derek Walker, and then uh, Shamil Stevenson, uh, who is at bare minimum going to, or unless he gets his waiver, he's going to sit out until December. All those guys are going to be eligible to play in these games, which is interesting because in 2015, Anton Gill, uh, when he transferred from Louisville to Nebraska, wasn't able to play in those Spain games. And part of that, I think, had to do with him coming off the injury, but also, uh, I mean, they, they didn't even, he got to go on the trip, but he did, had no chance of even playing. So all those guys, even though they're going to be sitting out this next season, uh, to some extent, uh, are going to be able to play in those games. So they'll be able to contribute as well. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. And, and you'll get a little bit of preview access around the program in July, I yeah, would hope. The, the official practices, they get 10 practices leading at, in Lincoln leading up to those games. And uh, I think they start the the start of the second five-week session, so July 10th or 11th or something like that. And uh, they're going to do some sort of uh, formal uh you know, pre-trip press conference. And I think we'll be able to go over there and check out some workouts and actually get to see this team together for the first time. And um, in that July session, the only player that won't be here is going to be uh, Yvonne Wadrogo, who's going to still be in France playing with the French U18 national team at the FIBA European Championships in Greece. So he won't not only be in Lincoln for those 10 practices, he also will miss the Italy trip. So unfortunate, but you know he's still getting a pretty cool experience playing at the international level. Well, when we come back, guys, uh, I've got a chance to talk to a few different people. We were on the road for the Rivals Convention. Caught up with our old friend Tom Deanhart, uh, formerly of the Big Ten Network and Sporting News and Rivals National, now is exclusively with Golden Black, the Rivals.com produce site. We talked about a number of things, and we'll also hear later in the show from Chad Simmons, the Georgia recruiting expert for Rivals.com. Nebraska signed more players from Georgia than any other state last year other than Nebraska. They're still recruiting Georgia very hard this year as well. But we'll talk to Tom Deanhart here next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, I'm actually on location at the Rivals.com convention. We're here in Atlanta at the lovely W property and got an old friend with me. I thought it'd be fun to catch up with Tom Deanhart, formerly of Rivals National, Sporting News, the Big Ten Network, now with Golden Black, um, the authority on Purdue. Tom, um, it's great to have you here back with Rivals again, first of all. Oh, it's great, Sean. It's great to see people like you again. A lot of old friends, a lot of familiar faces. Having a good time here in Atlanta. We just walked over to Georgia Tech, beautiful campus. And we're one day closer to the start of the 2019 college football season, so that's a good thing. Yeah, we had a good walk. We stopped over and checked out Bobby Dodd Stadium. It was a Sunday, though. The campus was a little slow, but got, a, got about a three-and-a-half-mile walk and walking around the campus and facilities of Georgia Tech. A lot of fun. A beautiful little campus tucked right off I-85 in the heart of Atlanta. Walked by the iconic Varsity restaurant i'm sure some listeners in the area even in nebraska have heard of the varsity so yeah it's a fun town it's a neat little campus well tom let's talk about you know you made the move from a national guy now covering purdue what's the biggest difference i know this will be your second full-time year around purdue athletics has it been a big change going from national to being strictly focused on one team well it's you know you got one singular focus which which uh keeps the, the keeps things a little simpler and for me sean of course um Purdue's right in my bailiwick, um, uh, a school close to my heart. I went to Purdue. My mom and dad, you know, worked at the university. I grew up in West Lafayette, so I'm familiar with 
all the administrators, the football coaches, the personnel, the history, the program, etc. So in that sense, it's a lot of fun, honestly, um, uh, to be back involved and ensconced deeply with Purdue. And as you know, and as the Nebraska fans know, it's a good time for Purdue football, period. Jeff Brom has the program on the rise. A big win last year in Lincoln. Of course, this year, the Huskers come to ross Stadium. Could be a big game. Yeah, and you've been around Brom and kind of you get a behind-the-scenes look because you worked for Purdue's athletic department before this position. Yeah. I mean, what is it about him that's just made it work there so quickly? I think personality-wise, first, he's a lot like Scott Frost. You always hear the word competitor, and these guys are both ex-quarterbacks, highly competitive individuals. Um, and I think he's changed the culture because of that. Uh, demands you to do your job and to do it right and do it right all the time. Uh, and offensively, I think what he brings to the table from a playbook standpoint, a lot like Scott Frost. Two similar coaches, offensive coaches, former cornerbacks. And I think we've seen just in two years, Sean, the Purdue offense becomes something special. And to think that he's doing it without players that he recruited is exciting and has fans thinking what happens when Brom has a roster filled with his players. Yeah, it's funny you compare him to Scott Frost. I know after they got a chance to spend some time together this year and play each other one time, um, I, I've heard just from mutual multiple people that Frost has as much respect for Jeff Brom as any coach and they, the Nebraska staff said Purdue's team, as far as how they coached up players, they were the best coach team on the schedule last year for Nebraska. Yeah, I think a, a lot of coaches realized that. You know, Purdue went through about a 10-year malaise after uh, Joe Tiller stepped down with Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel. And, uh, again, they fell off the map. And uh, Jeff Brom, to bring him back this quickly, I think, has a lot of people excited and uh, like you said, Sean, a much better product on the field. And look at the coaches in the Big Ten West now. Frost, Brom, I mean, P.J. Fleck, say what you will. I think he's a pretty good coach. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, Kirk Ferentz, uh, Paul Christ. I mean, it's, it's a division. I know the Big Ten East always gets the accolades, but the Big Ten West has some real coaching chops. Yeah, I think you look at the, the Big Ten now overall, Tom. Um, Nebraska, there's been four major publications. Mm -hmm. Athlon. Phil Still, and Streeton Smith at Pick Nebraska. One publication that may or may not have been written by Tom Deanhart did not pick Nebraska. And, and you know, it's, it's almost surprising, to be honest, that Nebraska is the favorite in three out of the four. You picked Wisconsin, Iowa, then Nebraska, I think, and Lindy. So you, you did yeah. the official Big Ten. Give us your thoughts on the West. And were you surprised that the other three major ones all went Nebraska? Not really, Sean. I mean, um, when I was having to come up with an order of finish, it was, it was a vexing proposition. Who do you pick? I mean, you can make a case for all three of those teams to win the Big Ten West, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska. Minnesota is getting a lot of love, too. I like their schedule. Yeah, and you look, look at the personnel coming back, too. A lot of veteran talent there for P.J. Fleck. So uh, you can maybe even throw them in the mix. So I, I guess I fell back on Iowa. I like Nate Stanley. I like Kirk Ferentz. Um, uh, defensively, I know the secondary is going to be good. They have some good edge rushers. Uh, and, again, Iowa's a team, um, you know, they were a little disappointing last year. And it seems like when a lot of times when th great things aren't expected from them, they do well. Um, but, again, Sean, you could have picked any of those three or four teams and made a good case for them winning the West. I, when I look at this season, though, Tom, as a conference, I am this is the least confidence I have for the Big Ten to get a college football playoff spot. I, I just – don't know enough about Ohio State. I know what Urban Meyer brought to the table. Um, you know, Michigan lost so many guys off that defense from a year ago. Penn State is going to be in a different situation. Um, Nebraska, Wisconsin. I mean, there's some teams, Iowa. But I, I just don't know if I see a playoff team in this conference heading into 2019. That would be three years in a row. And that would be incredible. But I, I probably would agree with you. Michigan, it looks like it's the pick of every pundit to win the Big Ten. Um, yes, they lost a lot on defense. Lost Higdon. Higdon. Uh, but they have quarterback Shea Patterson, of course. Maybe, uh, maybe the best wide receivers in the conference as well. Offensive line that's going to be improved too. So they've got their warts. They've got their issues in Ann Arbor. Uh, this isn't a make or break year for Jim Harbaugh. But, what, year five, uh, it's time to, I guess, finally get yourself over the edge if you're ever going to do it in Michigan especially when you consider what Ohio State's going through right now with Ryan Day, the new coach. He talked about the quarterbacks, too. So, yeah, Sean, I would agree with you. It doesn't look like on the surface the Big Ten may have a playoff team. 
Well, and I think if you played an eight-game conference schedule, it may be easier to get a playoff team. But when you do nine, it just – the parity shows even more. And I think that's why the SEC and the ACC don't want to do it because I think the parity would show that much more. Teams like Alabama would just keep winning, but there would be a just a mash of seven and five, eight and four teams if the SEC went to a nine-game schedule. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you're exactly right. It's too bad, you know, we can't have – you know, a more level playing field beginning with a similar scheduling structure for all the players. Well, the money might get us there because the money the Big Ten's making, that's a lot of it due to the nine games. It is, it is. The TV network's like that, obviously. So we'll see what happens in the future there. Um, but you're right. Um, boy, that's not going to make the Big Ten office happy up there in Rosemont, Illinois, if the Big Ten is shut out of this playoff for a third year in a row. Maybe, we have all know this, maybe this will be an impetus for playoff expansion. Sean, I just wish that we could make it cut and dried. Win your conference, you're in the playoff. Don't leave it up to any committee to pick those. Win your conference, you're in the playoff, maybe pick one wild card team. Let a committee pick a wild card team. But again, if you're a conference champ of a Power 5 league, you should automatically be in a playoff. Because there's just so many differences around the country and – you know, like Ohio State, though, I, we just don't know what Justin Field is going to bring. You know, talking to a lot of guys in the convention, I mean, our Roddy from Georgia and Kevin Noon from Ohio State, I mean, he sounds like the real deal, but, you know, we just haven't seen him play a 12-game schedule as a starter, and we don't know what Ryan Day is yeah. going to be like as a head coach. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Mark Helfrich replacing Chip Kelly or Frank Solich replacing Tom Osborne. It's extremely difficult to replace guys that meant what they meant to their programs, and that's what he's doing right now. Ron Zook replacing uh, <laughs> you know, Urban Meyer at Florida as well. Um, tough to follow a legend. Again, Ryan Day, the jury still very much is out, like you said. Same for Justin Fields, a quarterback. Uh, the transfer from Georgia. So we'll see. A lot of questions are looming. Plus, Ohio State has to go to Michigan this year as well. Uh, you know, while we're in the Big Ten East too, Sean, you mentioned Penn State earlier. That's a team to me that's a real wild card. Um, what's going to happen at quarterback? So, again, uh, that, I'm not saying they're going to fall off the map, but um, I don't, I'm not expecting much from Penn State, maybe 7-5. Well, and and the, the run-pass option they got from Trace McSorley at quarterback saved them. I mean, that – I don't ever want to say that James Franklin was in trouble losing his job, but the seat was turned up on him a little bit there. And then McSorley just caught fire. And then obviously Saquon Barkley yeah. and, and James Franklin was looked completely different because of those two guys and what they meant. And I don't know where they're going to get that now next year. Yeah, I think it's going to be a year of transition. Um, they're not going to contend in the East. The team to watch is Michigan State, I think. They got the best defense in the conference. Great defense last year. It's basically back. Um, offensively, I know they struggled. Um, Brian Lewerke, I think, will rebound. And uh, if they're at least average to above average on offense instead of miserable, that's the team, Sean, that maybe wins the East. And for Purdue, back to your guys that you're around, I mean, they could be anywhere from a six to eight win team. Is that kind of the thought right now? Yeah, I think six and six, uh, maybe seven and five, eight and four may be tough. Uh, you know, year three, still some roster issues, a couple areas for them on the offensive line. And then they have to get a pass rush without having a blitz. So, again, they've got their issues. Uh, but, again, Sean, probably a bowl team, not a Big Ten West contender, anywhere from six to eight wins. Well, Tom, it was great catching up with you in Atlanta. I enjoyed our walk, by the way, to Georgia Tech. And uh, look forward to getting a chance to see you at Big Ten Media Days and later this year as well in West Lafayette. That's right, Sean. Always good seeing you, buddy. All right, much more to come here from the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, on location here at the Rivals.com convention and the Five Star Challenge. We're in downtown Atlanta. And since we are in the state of Georgia, I thought it would only be fitting that we talk to Chad Simmons, the authority for Rivals.com on Georgia recruiting, mainly because a year ago, Chad, Nebraska signed as many players from Georgia as any state other than the state of Nebraska. So um, we, we saw a real uptick in the state of Georgia a year ago. Uh, four Georgia natives joined the Husker roster. Uh, just wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on some of these guys. 
Yeah, I think obviously it's a good year. It's a great state. You know, schools across the country recruit here every year. I mean, it's we got you know, roughly 200 Power Five guys. Nebraska has come in since Scott Frost took over, and they've they've made much more of a mark in this state. Start with Caleb Tanner a couple of cycles ago, and then you know guys like Quentin Newsom last year and Miles Farmer, and they've done a good job of of getting on kids early. Developing that relationship, getting them to Lincoln, selling that product, making them feel at home like a priority, and they've done a good job with that. And speaking of those two alone, I mean, they're they're both you know athletic defensive backs that have played. You know, Miles also had offers at receiver, could do different things, but some people liked him as you know a linebacker, some as a big safety. He's a guy that can come downhill, play the alley. He's a physical kid from right here in the city at Westlake High School. Then you have Quentin Newsom, who I think really kind of made a name for himself as a junior, playing cornerback. The length he has at six two six three, then moving to free safety as a senior, showing he can do both. He can cover, he can play in space. He has good ball skills. Has to fill out that frame, which he's probably doing now in Lincoln. But both those guys have upside, and both have playmaking skills. In defensive backfield yeah you hear a lot about the db depth in like states like louisiana but i would have to think georgia is right there with a florida louisiana in terms of producing that 6-1 to 6-2 db that everybody in the country wants because of their versatility and their ability to kind of play the press coverage yeah kids i think are starting to recognize that you can probably make more money and be better and different playing db instead of receiver at that size. I mean, at, at receiver at six foot six one, you're a common guy. I mean, everybody wants the big six four, six five, Julio Jones, A.J. Green type kid. Now, at receiver, unless you're a true slot kid for that role. So at defensive back, if you have that ball skills, that quick twitch, that the open hips, I mean, you can turn and run with the best guys, and you can play big with the catch radius and have that length to knock guys off their routes at the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you can show that stuff at that size, like a Newsom, uh, I really think his upside's up there. He's a guy that really played about half the season as a senior, so we didn't get just to see him quite as much, but he's a guy I think that's a, a very athletic DB with a real upside there. Yeah, for Nebraska – you know, how important is it that they maybe find that guy that has maybe a knock, whether it's an injury or something else that prevents the big SEC team from offering, but they easily could be that type of guy if a things would break their way? I think it's huge. You know, and there's like you said, there's enough guys to go around in this state. Now, can Nebraska come in here and beat out? you know, Georgia or Alabama for the top 10 player in the state? Probably not. There's some type of tie, maybe to Nebraska or to that coaching staff or something like that. But the depth is just getting larger and deeper every cycle here in Georgia. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's do your own evaluations, figure out what fits uh, your scheme offensively, defensively, uh, trust your judgment, and go into Georgia and find that group you target and try to pull two or three, four per cycle. Sean Callahan here on the Husker Online Show. We're joined by GeorgiaRivals.com recruiting expert Chad Simmons. I wanted to ask you about Ronald Tompkins. Um, this is a kid that you know suffered uh, a major knee injury in the first half of the first game of the season. Paid, played for a powerhouse program, though, down in Georgia. Just recently was academically cleared, so he just got to Lincoln Chad this week. Um, but what do you know, first of all, about his ability? Um, and if he w did not suffer the knee injury and had a big senior season, do you think Nebraska would have had a harder time holding on to this kid? You know, it's hard to say because everything would just be kind of, you know, just guessing basically and hypothetical saying, well, if he did this, did that, other schools. He was a one-time committed to Florida State. So, obviously – schools liked him early you know when he played for Grayson like you mentioned a powerhouse here in Georgia who had double digit signees last year in the 2019 class we'll have another close to that this year in 2020 so he played great competition he was around a great coaching staff um he's one of those guys man you just pull for I mean when you when you saw him go down again he had just fought back to get back to health then he injures himself again on just a, a freak non-contact injury uh, which happens seems like more and more every year now with guys that play that on a cut or whatever running back but uh he, he's a guy that right away you see him physically he stands out as a running back and some fools like him early on as a defensive back that's how athletic he is um so it's like back to my corner maybe safety but obviously running back is kind of where his heart was uh he's a physical guy guy can run inside outside um and again just, i think that the heart the self-driven uh the guy that will put in the work every day to be successful and he's one of the guys i've said from the beginning he'll make other players around him better uh just his demeanor his character his work ethic his energy his positivity you know some guys could go crawl in a hole and give up he didn't he worked hard to get back 
He'll give Nebraska all that he can. I think it would be very good for him and the Huskers down the road. Yeah, and he's not, only, he's not the only running back from Georgia coming in. Dedrick Mills, um, another Georgia kid that played at Georgia Tech, was a leading rusher as a true freshman for Paul Johnson's team, was all ACC freshman, had some off-the-field stuff, sent him down to Garden City, gets hurt, then comes back um, as one of the top players in the country in the junior college ranks, took them all the way to the national title game. He, too, is on campus, had a few academic things that went down to the wire with his junior college credits, but made it, um, and he's expected to contend and possibly be the starter this year for Nebraska. You know, obviously he's farther along. He's been there in college and the college program, the weight program, nutrition program. He was a thick, strong kid coming out of Waycross, Georgia, and South Georgia, Ware County High School program coming out of high school. He had offers also inside linebacker and running back coming out of high school. So he's a versatile athlete, I think a hard-nosed, physical, typical what we know here in Georgia as a South Georgia country strong type of kid loves to get downhill loves to run through people not around people uh he's a powerful back good balance good vision um obviously playing in paul johnson's triple option it'll be a little bit different going with scott frost in their more wide open system uh but i think he's the kind of guy that could definitely make a big impression early on there in, in nebraska and there's another guy on this roster already for Nebraska. He'll probably be a captain, Muhammad Berry, another Grayson kid, linebacker, uh, going into his final season here at Nebraska uh, where he put up big numbers, was one of the leading tacklers in the Big Ten Conference. What do you remember about Mo Berry when he was coming out of high school here? Um, and, you know, it, it took him a little while to get going, but had a huge year with well over 100 tackles this past season. You know, I think football player, you know, a guy that, again, just worked hard, competitive, uh, a lot of camps, you know, a lot of, he'd go wherever he had to go to try to get coaching, get better, make a name for himself, brand himself as a recruit. And again, it goes back to playing Grayson, man. You're at that program that has won state championships. They produce five-star players, four-star players, three-star players. And uh, I just remember him always competing. Like you said, being a leader, he was that in high school as well. Just guys that he would rally guys around him and just go all out for four quarters, play after play. You got any memories about other Nebraska-Georgia guys? I know Alfonso Dennard, Lakeven Smith. I mean, there's been some pretty good ones that came out of Georgia at Nebraska, but we're seeing more than ever. I mean, more guys from Georgia than ever are coming here because of that Scott Frost uh, connection. Sean Becton um, did such a great job at Central Florida recruiting Georgia for UCF all those years, so they've got more of a pipeline. But there's been some historically good Georgia kids that ended up at Nebraska. Yes, yeah, you know, for me as a as an analyst, it's almost like I wipe my mind clean when guys commit and sign. I move for the next two or three years. But the one that just stands out is not that long ago is Caleb Tanner, just being the guy that really kept it on the down low where he was going to go. And that's what I he, he kept that was a shocker. That was a shock. People had him pegged to Auburn, maybe Mississippi State a little bit of buzz. Like Florida was in there late. You know, Georgia had a chance to make a move they wanted to uh he i think you know only a few people knew like yourself myself nate a few other guys knew and that that kind of stands out as just kind of i think starting the new wave their new movement to come recruit in georgia and the south in general more under scott frost and to me that's going to make you better long term that's why you see teams from ohio state or up north penn state you know you see if clemson has been good over the years. They've had a lot of Georgia players, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, win national championships. Georgia is a great football state, great coaches, great development mentally, academically. They're prepared to play college football nine times out of ten. So Caleb's that guy. I know it's not long ago, but just knowing what he did, trying to keep it quiet and kind of playing that game for that last week before signing day stands out to me. Now, Logan Smothers, too. I forgot to ask you about him, but he's coming in as Nebraska's quarterback guy for 2020. State qualifier, I believe, in the 100, the 200, and I think even the four. I mean, he's a legitimate sprinter, um, has speed that you don't see for a quarterback very often. I mean, he is he somebody that he's going to a new school this year? I think he, his dad got a new job. I mean, what are you expecting for him as a senior? Well, it's a new school, but an old school. He started there at Muscle Shoals. Then his dad got a job down there like an hour away. Now he's going back to Muscle Shoals to finish his career with guys he grew up with playing, you know, Pop Warner, Little League, things like that. Logan's an intriguing guy. You know, he played at Athens High School last year in Alabama. 
maybe not a lot of big games on that schedule. Uh, he'll play more, especially early on this year at Muscle Shoals. He'll be more in the spotlight, I think, as a more of a traditional powerhouse program in Alabama. Uh, but he's a guy, the more I see him, the more I like. He's kind of grown on me uh, as a dual threat guy, athletic guy, a guy that can extend the play by pocket, time in the pocket. His dad's a coach, offense coordinator, so he knows the game. He's got a high IQ of football. Uh, his arms improved as well. He's still a little bit lean and thin, has to kind of grow into that long frame. But I love the upside, just the fit in the Nebraska offense as well. Chad Simmons here, our guest on the Husker Online Show. Chad, I know I speak for all the people on our site. We're very appreciative of the coverage you bring on Husker Online, of all the talent in the South. I know you're very popular with our users, and we appreciate you taking some time with us here on the Husker Online Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. All right, much more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, final segment. Thanks again to Chad Simmons and Tom Deanhart here for joining us as we talked about a number of different things. Uh, but wanted to close now with some recruiting with Nate Klaus. Nate, the drought is finally over. <laughs> as we speculated for a while, Nebraska with a couple of commitments um, over the weekend as they were able to land um, you know, some guys that were on their board. And I think they're pretty close, Nate, on getting some other guys. But let's first talk about the, t- the two commitments the Huskers picked up here over the final weekend of the evaluation or uh, recruiting period. Yeah, it was a big weekend. I mean, they had Nebraska had close to 30 different players uh, with offers on campus last weekend. And, and that in itself was, was a huge deal. And, and the majority of those guys were underclassmen. So, uh, but out of the seven official visitors uh, that they got, they, you know, they, they ended up getting Timon Lynham on Sunday. And uh, he's the big, you know, he's 6'2", 180-pound cornerback out of Orlando, Florida. Um, that is really kind of flying under the radar. He's got 15 to 17 offers, you know, right in that range. But, you know, a lot, a lot of them are from smaller schools. Um, he's only, you know, he's got four or five power five offers. But, uh, boy, I tell you what, you, you, you turn on the film, and that kid is the exact type of player that Travis Fisher loves to recruit. He's a big, tall, lengthy cornerback that's, uh, you know, very tough and physical. Um, you know, he, he can run, he can, he makes plays on the football. I mean, he does everything, uh, you know, that, that Travis Fisher likes. He, he certainly fits the mold of, of the type of cornerback or defensive back in general that he's recruited since he's been here at Nebraska. And, uh, and, and I think the, you know, in terms of his size, they, they love his toughness, his physicality. Uh, but also I think he's a guy that could play corner nickel or even maybe even safety down the road. And, and that's another trait that, that I think Travis Fisher really likes to recruit. He, he likes to find guys that, that are versatile players and that he can mix and match in the back end of the defense there and, um, you know, bring a lot of versatility uh, to the table. And, and that's what Lineham does. And uh, I know for a fact that this is a kid – and when they saw him and offered him in the spring, they felt like they needed to get him on campus as soon as possible because they felt like, you know, by October of his senior year, he was going to be gaining a lot of more attention and a lot more offers. And, and so they wanted to get him on campus as soon as possible and try to wrap up the, his recruitment early uh, before a lot of new teams came knocking on his door. And, and there probably will be some new teams that come knocking later on, but um, you know, from, from talking with him, exchanging some messages with him, he's locked in. He's solid. Um, you know, and, and somebody, aside from the coaches, somebody that played a large factor in this deal was Braxton Clark, another Orlando area cornerback uh, that has similar size. And I mean, they went a whole year, Nate, without a Florida guy. And Nebraska didn't sign yeah. a Florida kid in the 2019 class. Yeah, and that was, that was a big deal. Um, and, you know, I kind of mentioned that in, in my write-up, too, that – um, you know, not only is Lynham kind of the maybe the first domino to fall here in the summer months to kind of end that dry spell, but he's the first Florida kid that they've gotten since that 2018 class after not signing anybody in 2019. So that's a big deal as well. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. Let's talk about Alex Kahn then to the offensive lineman out of Kansas. Nebraska essentially went into Kansas and signed maybe the two best linemen in the state. Uh, Turner Corcoran, the number one player in Kansas, and Alex Kahn, another long-levered guy that fits the profile of linemen they want. And I think just perceptionally it's a really big deal when you have Chris Kleiman, a national championship coach at now Kansas State, and Les Miles, a former national championship coach at LSU at KU, 
They've gotten 37, 38 early commits between the two programs. These were two guys they wanted to keep in state. They had that year one momentum, and Nebraska was able to go in there and essentially pluck the two best tackle prospects in the region um, from Kansas to get up here and, and, and commit to the Huskers. Yeah, recruiting the 500-mile radius this year has been – kind of a different dynamic with when you when you talk about Les Miles and Chris Kleiman and uh and then Mel Tucker in Colorado you got three brand new coaches and, with big ideas yeah with big ideas and the first thing that every new coach always says is we're going to lock down our borders we're going to keep our best players at home and <clears throat> and for the most part I mean when you look at the commitment lists from from all three of those schools they they're doing a better job seemingly of keeping talent at home but Nebraska was able to go into Kansas and get arguably, you know, for sure the top two linemen, in my opinion, uh, and arguably, you know, maybe tackle bodies. though is huge. Yeah, because um, they've made a living on the six three type of guy for exactly. years, but getting the six 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 seven six eight guy, that's where Nebraska has really struggled in recruiting over the years. They have, and and for them to not have to go clear across halfway across the country to get a body like that is is really huge, and. And Alex Kahn has that. He's 6'6", 275. He's, so he's got the, the height, he's got the length, and the, and his, his, the body makeup. You know, he's not a kid that's going to come in and where you have to have him drop 20, 30 pounds of bad weight before you can start Dave to, Ellis to build loves that. Yeah, they, and they absolutely love that. And, uh, I mean, they, it, you, you watch the film, he's a big athlete. He can get out and run in space. He can move his feet extremely well. He can pull. He can do all these different things where I think when you look at where Nebraska wants their offense to be in terms of tempo and, and speed, uh, they want athletic, big athletic bodies that can move down the football field in big chunks and not get, you know, tired. Uh, so I, I don't know if we're really ever going to see – Nebraska go after a big 330 pound high school kid where you're going to have to shed a bunch of bad weight off him out of the gates I think these are the types of guys that they like and um, the other thing I like about Alex Kahn is that he's he's pretty much a no-nonsense type of kid which kind of fits with what Greg Austin is what he likes in that offensive line group um, you know what Turner Corcoran is and really all the guys that, that Greg Austin has signed since he's gotten here they're all pretty much the same you know they don't like the the frills and um, they're not into, you know, all the social media attention and all that stuff. They're they're pretty much, you know, pretty grounded guys that like to that like to work hard and, and, and get after it. And, and I think that's what Alex Kahn likes. And, uh, you know, it came down to Nebraska and Oklahoma State for him. And uh, he just felt more comfortable at Nebraska. Nate Malik Reed uh, was a guy that was here this weekend, um, gave us glowing reports about the visit, but then commits to Wisconsin about a day later. Were you surprised by that, knowing what he told Mike Mattia and our staff following the visit in Nebraska? I was surprised by that. I mean, anytime you've got a recruit who has taken a total of four official visits and, and says, hey, my last official visit uh, was to Nebraska, and that was the best visit I've been on, and, and now I'm, I'm ready to make a decision. I need to go home and talk to my dad, um, you know, and – and I, I, I know where I want to go. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's pretty cut and dry. He's, he's going to go to Nebraska. If, if his best visit was to Nebraska, he liked everything about it, then you know, it kind of led you to believe that he was Nebraska's. But I think there was something that changed you know, within the, that 24 hours of him getting home and, and then him eventually announcing on Monday that he was going to be going to uh, – or Tuesday, whenever that announcement eventually came out, that he was going to be going to Wisconsin. I – uh, you know, I think when you look back at it, maybe it, it hurt that his dad, for whatever reason, wasn't able to come on the visit. He had his mind made up. It sounded like about Wisconsin. The dad did. I think, yeah, I, I think the dad had his mind made up on Wisconsin, and and um, you know, I don't want to say he talked Malik out of Nebraska. Like, I don't know what types of conversations they had, but certainly something changed there. Uh, you know, from the time that Malik Reed left Nebraska on Sunday, and then you know, announced just, you know, uh, a day or two later. So, uh, but, you know, it hurts Nebraska. They, they ha obviously have a big need for inside linebackers in this class, for linebackers in general. But at the same time, they're still in on a number of guys too. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. And a lot of those guys have visited here over the last month. And so, or, or dating back to the spring game, I think there's probably been about six inside linebackers with offers that have been on campus. So, um, you know, it's not all hope is lost, uh, but and I think things are still trending in the right direction with a number of different inside linebacker targets. We'll have lots to talk about and discuss with recruiting here as in our next couple of weeks, we're going to do some big picture looks at the offensive and defensive boards with Nate 
Uh, but that wraps it up here for this edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 